Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains, you are at the spot, the location, the place where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. And today we have John McIntyre. I can't wait to talk to John. He is super smart and super heady, and he's traveled the world. He's guiding teams in unique ways to empower for continental cohesiveness and productive advancement. That's a lot of big words. In other words, he's going around the globe trying to have people work together in a productive manner, okay? Uh, and I just want to hear something about his adventures, uh, the work that he's doing. What does this look like in this landscape now with AI, with diversity, equity, and inclusion, with millennials only wanting to work from something this big? What does this look like to bring all this together in a cohesive manner to make it functional, but also create satisfaction and grow corporations. So let's welcome him to the edge. How are you, John? I'm doing really good. Thanks, April, for inviting me. Absolutely. I told you you're looking like brand new money right there. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get started, I always like to look in people's background. Tell me a little bit about that tapestry there that you have on the wall. Well, that is from Afghanistan, but I bought it when I was uh, working in Doha, Qatar. Um, uh, that's where the World Cup was last November. Um, anyway, uh, it's, it's uh, an antique uh, prayer rug, and, but it's actually the Tree of Life. And the Tree of Life, you know, you have that in three different religions, um, you know, Christianity, Islam, and also uh, Judaism. And, and so uh, it's a very important thing. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the Tree of Life just signifies where we are. We, got, we have to grow roots and then we have to grow ourselves. And then from that, other people come. So that's that's why I, I have that. Well, it's beautiful. It really is. It, it looks ancient. It looks worn in a beautiful kind of way that someone has really poured their heart out and opened themselves up to God on that. So you have a very valuable piece right there. I think so. Tell Thank us a little you. bit, John, about how you show up in the world and what is it that you do? So how I show up in the world is that I help um, organizations uh, and individuals become their best and how how they can work better together. I try to uh, foster um, the ability to bring cultures and uh, languages and and thinking together. So when I talk about languages, you know, I'm not just talking about, you know, an international language, like I'm I'm American, I speak English, my wife is Japanese, she speaks Japanese. I'm not talking just about those languages, but even the fact that we in our families, we each have different um, ideas, ideals, you know, things that we're going for. You know, we, we have different things where we're speaking different uh, um, lingo, uh, especially in companies and organizations. Um, you've got the finance people speak, you know, finance lingo, and you've got the, you know, communications people that speak their own language. You've got the people who are technical who speak their own language. And somehow you need to get everybody on the same page so that they, 
uh, are speaking the same language and they're going after the same goals in the same manner. Well, that's a lot of heavy lifting. Because, <laughs> I mean, really, you just look at the landscape of the world right now. Forget corporations. As again, like you say, in your own household, they speak a different love language. Absolutely. Know? And so tapping into that, into that reservoir, because it's coming from all different angles. What do you do when, I know being a, a good listener is very important, but how do you go in and kind of assess where to begin with an organization? Because there's a lot going on. Well, I have a, a little program called SYNC. It's Synchronize okay. Yourself Naturally Within Your Community. And basically, it's a methodology that focuses on these four main, um, main aspects. Um, there's synchronize, which is you know, emphasizing the importance of coordinating and aligning different elements uh, to achieve a common goal or a desired outcome. So getting, getting everybody on the same page. This is bridging gaps, building accord, uh, creating consensus, and maintaining you know, a timely and continual continuity with the community. And the community can be your family. It can be your, your office. It can be your business, uh, the corporation. It can be a government agency. It can be a school, a church. It, you know, think of community, whatever it is you're trying to you know, bring together. Well, in order for that to all work, you have to work on yourself first. And so this is to personalize things. And this aspect focuses on personalizing and tailoring approaches to suit individual preferences, needs, and characteristics. It involves being authentic, having high integrity, being empathetic, kind, caring, and practicing what I call, or what I like to focus on is servant leadership. And I think that's really, really key. Um, the leaders need to actually be the ones that are the servants and they're, they're working their tails off to make sure that everybody else is, is taken care of. Well, you need to do this naturally and that's naturalize. And this aspect uh, emphasized the importance of introducing or establishing foreign ideas. Okay, so this is that cultural aspect again and approaches to the new environment. Um, and it's allowing you to adapt and thrive uh, in that um, narrative, in that location. So this involves being natural and integral and, and, and internalizing all these things. So this is stuff that uh, I pull things from the different cultures that I've you know, uh, been able to associate with along the way. Uh, so you have um, your, uh, you have in, in from Korea, we have what's called Nunchi. And this is um, you know, how to, the art of reading people and situations. Mm. Uh, we have, I, I also bring out Sun Tzu, which is uh, that military general from ancient China. Um, and people will say, well, why do you want to have a military strategist, you know, being somebody who could be followed? Well, he was actually a philosopher. And uh, basically what he's saying is that, you know, how do you make it so you don't have to uh, battle to win the war? So really you're trying to learn how you win people's hearts and get get your enemies to understand you and get your your friends to align with you better and and so and basically that, and I, just, I just want to interject real quick i dig dictators i know people say what <laughs> I, but no really i like how they're structured i like how they are able to i don't want to say manipulate but in a lot of situations manipulate coerce and encourage people to follow them in their beliefs. So even though I may not agree with what they're using that power for, not good, not evil, but that is still very, very valuable. And some of these things that you mentioned are just, they're so futuristic. 
because people are stuck, John. They're stuck right now. They're stuck in the old ways. I mean, look at our, our government. I'm not going political, mm-hmm. but what does a 15 or 16 year old want to talk to an 80 plus year old president about? Mm-hmm. They're not even on the same wavelength. They don't have this and nobody wants to listen to the young people. Absolutely. We have artificial intelligence that is going to take over everything. People fight against the, but whether you fight against it or not, it's here and it's here to stay and it's growing. Absolutely. So how do we work and how do we incorporate that and all of these other wonderful things that you have into sync? So, so we get to the last part of sync, which is the community or communitize. And mm-hmm. this, this aspect bring, is bringing people together organizing the group into a community. So you need to have a sense of shared identity. So my really firm beliefs are, you know, just innate beliefs are that everyone is here on this earth for a purpose. And it's, it's basically everybody's responsibility to find out what that purpose is. But when it comes to leaders, they need to allow those people to work within their purpose. So you think about company uh, executives, you know, somebody who hires a new employee well, oftentimes they try to have them fit in this box. Well, right. they, they, they need to understand that in order for that employee to actually be such a valuable piece of that puzzle, they need to be able to be themselves. And it's by being themselves that they're going to actually be able to flourish and make that puzzle piece that they have be the best it is and to make it fit the best inside the, the, the puzzle of the whole. And, but and- also what they have to realize is that when you apply for a particular job, and you go for that interview, you know, you are an independent contributor to that new organization. You can't be the manager that you were at GM going to Ford. You have to also be able to be flexible. So I get the leadership and they get it, you know, they're working towards that. But what you bring to the table as an employee, so many people are enamored with this. I want to be an entrepreneur. Well, it's tough work. It's tough work. Absolutely. Being a W-2 employee or being an hourly employee, there's a lot of great value in that. How do we support the workers? Use, for example, right now we've got this big kerfuffle going on with everybody's on strike from healthcare to Hollywood to, uh, to the car manufacturers. And then you've got the other group that are quietly quitting or they are, um, you know, the great resignation. How do we motivate the employees? I understand we're doing leadership, but how do we get people back engaged and make them excited about where they work? Absolutely. So, you know, going back to the great resignation, which you pointed out, I mean, think about this. In 2021 to 22, 50 million people, you know, participated in the great resignation. They left their jobs because they weren't satisfied. They wanted to have something else that they could have control over. And they, they, they didn't like the way they were being treated. So why does that come about? Well, it comes about because there's some type of a, of a divide that's happened in our, you know, uh, in our society where, you know, we don't just have super rich anymore. We have uber rich. Mm-hmm. And uh, though we have these, you know, multi, you know, billionaires, even, you know, hundred billionaire, you know, um, and they, 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 they definitely um, have provided value within you know, the context of that, that idea and that company and everything. And so you don't want to diminish that. But the thing is, they didn't get there by themselves. Right. And um, if they're a- actually able to pull their people along and get them to, to mesh with their vision, 
even better and also treat them appropriately okay and that doesn't mean that they need to have you know a big piece of the pie or not but they need to feel like they are part of the puzzle and that they're being appreciated for what they're doing because that appreciation and the titles that they have and the motive the things that motivate them are the things that are going to keep them not only in their jobs but actually keep them progressing and making that company even more valuable but there does need to be some type of a shared activity there you know from the top down and the bottom up and i agree i, I agree with you okay but there's this new 25 i like to use this term 25 dollar term dei diversity equity and inclusion well as a black woman in america i don't want to be a head count i want a seat at the table sure Absolutely. and that is that is where the value and the equity and the diversity and the inclusion really is is with the decision makers same old people that have run it same old way that they've been running it no new uh identities like i said you've traveled the world you know multicultural you have seen women more powerful than you know we've got a, a women in power here you don't hear from them you don't see them they're still kept in the shadows you've been in countries you know africa asia indonesia the philippines women are running it but now it seems like people are nervous i don't know what what is the trend that you're seeing as you travel across the world are women a lot more influential uh are they being respected more well what are you seeing where do you see women in this space well of course it varies by country and by culture um, from my time in the Middle East, which was the most recent thing that I've been doing, uh, that was for nine years in Doha, um, I, I actually worked for the Qatar Foundation, and the Qatar Foundation's chairperson was Sheikha Mosa. Sheikha Mosa is just an ast astounding uh, woman um, leader. She is just fabulous. And, and that's because of her and her husband, who was the, is the father emir. Um, he abdicated the throne to his son because he thought that, that the younger people should have more control over the country. And so, so he, he got out of the limelight, but his wife is still in the limelight. And um, she has empowered women uh, in that country, but also within the region. And so the, the Arab region looks to her as, as a beacon of, uh, of you know, success and, and a beacon of progress. And um, she's, you know, really try to make it so that that everybody feels good so i would say that partly because of her um saudi arabia which is next door uh has always been um, ultra conservative on the uh, islamic front and um they would not they didn't allow women to drive until just a couple years ago yeah i was just just thinking that too i was like wow yeah. so so i would say that they did allow they have allowed women to um to drive. Um, I actually have a really good friend who's an attorney who went from Doha into Saudi Arabia, and uh, she was actually in there in the mix while they were going through all these, these changes. And so they didn't have to wear the burqa anymore. They didn't have to, they, they can drive, they can work wherever they want, and there's lots of inclusion there. So I've seen these things take place in, in Doha, in Qatar, that they, they were already doing that type of thing. And, and so that was really nice to see that. But um, the other part of but you know what's sad in a way that here we are in the 21st 22nd century and just just now so the the the, the suppression 
and oppression is also traumatizing. You gotta get adjusted. Yeah, and I would say that that trauma is also accentuated by the fact that we had COVID, which really put everybody off kilter. Uh, and we're still trying to, to come back to steam from that. So, um, what did that teach you, John? What did what did that in that moment of silence during COVID? What did that teach you? <laughs> well, it taught <laughs> me <you> laugh. <laughs> well, the reason the reason why I laugh is because it taught me how important the stuff that I'm trying to to uh, bring out, the stuff that I'm trying to mentor people on, is so needed. Um, because uh, you know, when you have COVID and you had all these these governmental people. Um, and, you know, it, it seemed like you had the governments and you had the pharmaceutical companies and a lot of people kind of teaming up against the regular people and they were forcing things down people's throats. And, and you know, what, what I feel is that um, there is probably, there was probably a lot of different ways they could have done that better. Uh, I don't think that you should ever force anybody to do anything. No. Now, you know, you talked about dictators and everything. I think a dictator going to a point where people are getting fired and stuff for you know not doing something, right. but but not having the um, the the reason the carrot that that allows them to, to really try and do that you know beforehand, it's but it's just a hand slap. It makes it it's, difficult. It's you know? the fight or flight. It's the fear. Absolutely. And everybody was was fearful, and they mm -hmm. just didn't know what to do. Now there was a plan put in place, but others decided to disband that. I'm not saying that that was a perfect plan, mm -hmm. but at least there was a template to work mm -hmm. against. And I think people just got so full of themselves, you know, that uh, it just went rogue. And then parents, parents didn't know who these little people were until they had to try to homeschool them. Yeah. <laughs> I found that amazing. And you being a father of six, I'm sure that, you know, you saw some things and said, wow, this is the you know, this is a different kind of math than what I did when I was in school. You know, all these things really set a new precedent for the future. When you look at what you're doing and your travels and your experience, what are some of the successes that you can, that you can lend to, you know, to your portfolio? What are some of the things that you have been a part of that has really made an, an uh, integral change? So I, I've talked a lot about being in, in Doha Cutter. Um, so at my job uh, in my career has been in technology transfer. So basically what I do is I work for research universities. I take that cutting edge science, which comes out of the research from the research inventors. I determine if it's patentable, if it's something marketable, and if it's something that we should invest in with patents and marketing and to you know, create startup companies and things like that. Um, I went to, uh, to the Middle East where intellectual property uh, is, is what we're talking about. So patents and copyrights and trademarks and things, right. those things were just not known. And uh, research had only started a couple of years before um, at, you know, on a national level with, uh, with um, Cutter Foundation. And so I needed to go in there and, and uh, we, we started this technology transfer office. Um, our, our first thing was to actually put together a policy to help people understand what intellectual property was and how we work with it. 
And, and so that, that may, meant that we needed to get people around the table uh, to, to determine what this policy was gonna say. And there was some things that, that went on, on in that course that, that were good and there's some things that were not so good. And I, I learned from that activity. And then we had, we redid that um, uh, intellectual property policy uh, six years later. And, and it was a very different uh, environment and everything. Um, but basically getting everybody on the same page. So this is the people from, you know, the people, the administrators, uh, the research uh, inventors, uh, the people that are leading uh, the organizations, um, making sure that everybody's on the same page. And then you got your attorneys and your uh, finance people who have to fund these types of activities and, and pretty much trying to get them on the same page. And so although everything's not perfect and, and as people change in these organizations, you know, uh, think the puzzle pieces get moved and everything, but but for the most part, we were able to get people to understand the importance of intellectual property, getting people on the same page. You know, from that activity, um, I was able to, you know, license technologies out uh, to create five, uh, seven startup companies. Wow. And then there was uh, 40 other technologies that I licensed out uh, to existing companies. And, and, and basically, um, that's in an organization where the technology is like really, really nascent. Uh, most most organizations where I've worked before, like the University of Illinois or the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, they've had decades of experience with technologies. Right. And so they had a lot of technologies which were really, really, you know, already solid and, and, and they were ready to go. And so we had to actually implement policies and processes and, and uh, funding activities to actually get those uh, inventions that were created to a better state so that they could be marketable. And, and, and so, so that those, that's them, an activity, yes. Yeah, but that makes them a lot more competitive and marketable on the world stage because we have to talk globally now. Absolutely. You know, we're global citizens and it can't just be the United States because in my opinion, I'm, spe I'm speaking about me, we are no longer the leaders. Um, I, we're not seen as the leaders. Our dollar is not as strong. We invent something, another country comes in and takes the intellectual property and reproduces it and makes it better. Uh, and so there's a challenge. But what do you think, dialing back a little bit to uh, millennials and, and the youth, you see such a depletion in the education, test scores, you know, their mental health, always in the device, being, you know, uh, taught by 30 second blurbs on TikTok. And then you see the Asian children and children in India. How can we re-engage and excite our children to be, you know, innovators, inventors, scientists, mathematicians? A lot of girls are going into STEM, um, but how do we get them engaged again and not so just it's like they're numb so uh, this last year i participated with jack canfield uh, and uh, received my um success principles uh coaching you know methodology coaching uh, certificate and um you know the the number one thing in there is to uh be 100 responsible so mm. we need to get people to recognize that that they're, they're only a victim if they allow themselves to be a victim. Right. What we need to be is a victor. And the only way we can be a victor is to actually be, you know, in charge of our lives and take that 100% responsibility. So, you know, one thing that happens in Japan 
um, that you know doesn't happen often in other places very much. And that is that the, the school children they're at school and they're, of course they're learning their STEM uh, you know courses and everything, but they're also responsible for their daily activities. They have to clean the, the, the school, the classrooms, the hallways every day. Um, they're 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 ones that are serving the lunches uh, in their rooms to each other. Um, they actually is that that servant leadership that they're learning from from the onset. And, and I think that, that if we're able to instill some of those types of activities in them, that would be really good. So I look back at my life. I've been working since I was 11. And I've um, had my own business since I was five. Yeah, and, and see, that's, that's we, and we could do that back then, but there's a lot of laws and rules that don't even allow kids to work right now. And, and so, so we've got um, institutions but, but that are standing of, in the way of that. Right, but there's a lot of parents, too, that are coddling and hand-holding. There was a generation there. Now, of course, we want to make it better for our kids. What parent doesn't want their child to exceed what they have done? I get that. But holding their feet to the fire and making them accountable, that doesn't mean corporal punishment. But there has to be, again, a sense of community, volunteer work, make your bed up. That was one of my fundamentals. When you get out of that bed, you make it up for so many reasons. That's a place that you rest, you make love, you recover when you when you sleep, you're relaxed. Your bed is is something very very important, and it should be maintained. That take the garbage out. Do I have to tell you to take the garbage out? You know? <laughs> or like my daughter, she wasn't able to move out until she was 28. Mm. That magical number of 18 doesn't exist anymore. The cost no, of it doesn't. <laughs> you know, going to college. You know. Today, unfortunately, there was another mass shooting. There's too much distraction to keep them to keep them focused, and it breaks my heart because there are so many bright, talented, you know, individuals and and the teachers and people like you that dedicate your life to pour into these individuals. I just don't know where we're headed. Well, I think you're absolutely right, uh, especially on the youth side. The youth that are out here today, they are amazing. Um, they have so much innate talent, so much pent up uh, energy that somehow we need to be able to help them release that, but they need to feel like they're accepted. They need to feel like they're appreciated to be able to do that. And so, so as a society, we need to be able to, um, you know, reach across the aisle, okay, you know, of these different things that are going on in our lives. And, and bring people towards, you know, a, a similar goal. And, you know, I, there's a, a story I'd like to tell you. Yes. Which is one of the reasons why the U.S. is so prominent in regards to um, being an innovative country. And, and I, I'm worried that we're kind of losing that. But in the 1970s, the U.S. was spending billions of dollars on research. And when it came to the universities and the research organizations that the funding was going to, there wasn't very much impact coming out of this. So why was the reason for that? Well, it's because the government owned everything. So everything went back to the government and it sat on shelves. It's kind of like the Indiana Jones movie where you have the big warehouse and all those shelves with all those things on it. You know, so nothing was getting out. So in 1980, uh, Birch Bayh, a Democrat, and Bob Dole, a Republican, they said, hey, we got to fix this. And this has got to be a bipartisan activity. So they reached across the aisle and they created what was called the Bayh-Dole Act. Well, the Bayh-Dole Act is why I have my job. That's what is tech transfer. But that's also what made the U.S. 
become you know the the engine that it is for for innovation so what is the the most remarkable um invention that came from that or the most maybe notable or uh, uh, people seeing what it is it's it's google google came out of this activity right. okay google came from stanford and google is a 1.5 billion dollar company and our trillion dollar company so it is actually the value of uh the 10th um, gdp of the world which is korea so so when I was in, I went to Japan um, and I speak Japanese and I was in, I worked in Japan for seven years and I was asked to come back to Japan when I was in this transfer mode when I was at the University of Illinois and help them put together their Bayh-Dole Act equivalent for Japan and to put together a technology transfer office for the region. Well, there's 18 countries that have, have done and have mimicked the U.S. in this type of activity. But you know what's happening is that our, our politics are pulling this thing apart. They're pulling this jewel apart and they're, they're people that are wanting to get rid of this. Well, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You may have to tweak things, but you don't take something that was really good that the world has seen as really good and is mimicking right. and, and throw it out. You need to work with it. So, so what, what we were missing right now is that reaching across the aisle and saying, hey, we got problems, let's work them out. And I would say that the 70s, um, working into the 80s was pretty intense too. Maybe not as bad as it is right now, but but still there was a lot of fervor on each side of the aisle. And so what by um, what uh, senators uh, By and Dole did was actually amazing. And we need to have more of that type of activity actually take place in our world. And then that becomes an example for us to be working in our regular lives. And so just people some just some, some you know I'm worried about democracy. And absolutely. You, and you like me, have traveled to communist countries. But I'll tell you, back to that dictator stuff, dumb brains, I'm not a communist, before <laughs> you get off on a tangent. But when I went to uh, when I went to China, there was law and order. There was, it was beautiful, it was clean, you know, uh, people reserved, there, it was a lot of competition because there's a lot of people. There was a lot of competition, but they did something that just really warmed my heart. So we're driving, and they bumped their horn. You know, so many people on their bicycles and the ducks and all this crossing the street. But when they did that, they would wave at you. And I asked my driver and I said, well, what is that all about? He says, because you have avoided a conflict mm. that you didn't hit my bike, that you didn't run over my duck, that you didn't run over me. Maybe I was distracted at the time. They were so civil. They were so kind to one another. Now, they looked at me from head to toe as if I was like this alien, you know, but in the end, it was more of a curiosity and not a judgment. Absolutely. It was like, let me see. Um, I, I loved that. Now, all regimes are not the same. I don't know if it'd be the same in Cuba. I don't know if it'd be the same in Russia, how they would treat people. But the Chinese and their philosophy, to me, um, they get a bad rap. Mm -hmm. They get a bad rap and the culture and how they treat a family, community, but responsibility. And they teach that from, from the time you can pick up your chopsticks, you know, you learn that you are a part of this community and that you have to continue to let this engine run. So I love that. But here in the United States, we're just a mosh posh of madness. Now everybody's jockeying for a position. 
Now, there's still a lot of good things in America. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I love being an American. But when I look at people that come from other countries that, you know, come over here as immigrants and they work hard, the first thing they do is they start a business. The first thing they do is, you know, they don't come over here necessarily as people think to get on welfare and to, you know, do this. They're coming because they want to up level their life. They want their children to go to school. They want decent health care, just like anybody else. And, and they're, willing, they're willing to get their hands dirty and work for it. I'm telling you, I'm, I don't know where half these people are. I just had some construction work done on my house. John, it was seven bids. Seven bids before I could find people to do it. Hmm. And they weren't, uh, they were two nice Cuban men. And let me tell you, they worked their tail off. My house is magnificent. I didn't have to ask them nothing. I didn't have to, you know, they had a work ethic. They had a work ethic. And now technology has tweaked the brains of so many that, you know, the brick and mortar, getting your hands dirty, being a plumber, being an electrician, is now sloppy seconds when they're still very viable. And then you look at artificial intelligence. Now you're on the tech side. I want you Mm -hmm. to pour into that uh, with me. And I'm gonna invite you back to be on another interview with uh, my mentor who is, I mean, she is just engulfed in this AI. Mm. I don't use it as much, but it's taking on so many forms. How are we able to incorporate that and not be afraid of it? You know, a lot of people are afraid of it. Well, you know, I think people should be afraid of it if they, they, if they don't actually get their hands dirty and use it, okay? So what's really important is to, um, in, in an AI world, you need to look at what, um, where you stand in that environment and what needs to happen for that job to be successful. And look at what what AI can do to enhance that job, which could be scary because it could take the job away. But because that aspect is scary, you shouldn't, you know, be an ostrich and, and put your head in the sand. You need to be actually wide open, thinking about how do I utilize this to make me the best I can be. So when you're talking about AI, I use it daily. And, and what am I using it for? I'm using it to do research. I'm, I'm using it to, to help wordsmith things that I'm trying to put out there as a post or whatnot, I'm, as a script. Um, I'm, I'm trying to augment things. So what's really crucial with the AI aspect is that you as a person, again, going back to that personalized, you need to make yourself as unique and authentic as possible. And it's, it's through that authenticity that and your integrity that you're going to pull together you know that creativity so being creative and being empathetic is something that ai is not good at and so that's the things that we need to get our our younger people and just the world in, in general to actually focus on so the the menial tasks you know will hopefully you know, go away so that we can all be working on more interesting things and things that actually are more meaningful. And it's our personality going into that, which makes that AI augment that to make it something that actually reaches more audiences. So now you've traveled around the world. You just came from Qatar. You've been to, you know, Asia. You've been to India. 
I haven't been to India. I, I have not been to India, but I worked when I was in Doha, I worked with people from 65 different countries. Hmm. Okay. And so they, how are they looking at AI? Um, well, so one of the things that I'm still working on uh, in Doha is I'm working with, with a group that, that actually is TASMU. It's a TASMU project, which is a government project, which is focused on data and AI. And I help entrepreneurs um, fill in the holes, bridge the gaps in regards to you know, who they need to be talking to, who they're like, how, they're, how they make themselves different from what's going on out there. How do they do stuff in DEI you know, in regards to that? How do they make it so that their organization, the things that they're working on actually can, can be something not only beneficial, but actually you know, something that, 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 that pokes their head up above the others. And, and so that, that's what I'm doing as a mentor uh, for, for those people in those, in those groups. Wow. Well, you are really on the cutting edge and I am so uh, flattered that you're here on the edge with my brains to really tell them, you know, what's going on in the world, how they can be impactful, insightful, as well as competitive, because it is a competitive space. Let's, you know, let's not kid ourselves when it comes to that, but how can we still be leaders in our homes, in our communities, in our corporations, in our schools, you know, in our society, our community, everything. So John, you are just wonderful. And I, again, like I said, I can't wait to invite you back um, to really well, have a conversation with, uh, with uh, Brigitte because it's going to be off the charts. She's a brain too. So, so I, I really appreciate the, the, the opportunity to be in this venue because, you know, it's really important for us to reach out, branch out and in, into different audiences. And so, you know, I'm able to, to talk with your brains and, um, and I'm really grateful for that uh, because each, each group has their own, their own way of looking at things and looking at the world. But what you're doing is you're bringing all these different interesting concepts together and, and what a service you're doing for your, your, your brain group, your brainiacs. Yeah, I'm just really trying to raise their consciousness. Mm. You know, I do some work here with, uh, at the Deepak Chopra Center and it's not about mindset anymore. It's about being woke. It's about being awakened. It's about the present moment more, more so than anything. I believe that we're in this lunar vortex. We're in this portal, you know, and spirituality is going to get us there. You're not going to be able to take your diamond rings or your trillion dollars to the next place. You are going to ascend somewhere. And so let's just hope and pray that you are conscious, that you are woke, that you're living your best life. Please tell us if there's any groups organizations that you are, you know, promoting, if you have an online webinar that people can tap into, follow you on social media, please, how do they reach out to you, John? So I am on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, on Facebook, Instagram, um, not on Twitter or X yet. Um, I, I, I'm working on that. Uh, I uh, am both on those with my company and my individually. Uh, and I um, have my website is um, mutual prosperity, uh, all one word, mutualprosperity.com. So www.mutualprosperity.com. And they can find out about my sync program and all the different activities that I'm doing in regards to this space. Well, I appreciate that. And I can't wait um, to follow you and just get heady, just listening to you. I feel smarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, the same thing goes back to you too. I really appreciate it. 
that's what we we're lacking now is you know conversation mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely absolutely and giving, and giving the person an opportunity to explain it and go deeper instead of being so combative and resistant <laughs> don't do it brains i'm telling you you know you, you're, you're fighting against the wind and you won't win <laughs> well if you're you know if people if we're if as people if we just go down a path because our group or our color is doing that 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 pathway i think we need to look back and say what do I as an individual think and what is my intuition telling me is right or wrong? And, and if we follow that, that's actually going to take us to where we need to be personally, which helps us create that piece of the puzzle, which goes into those groups that we, we're going in and to make that, that those groups work better. So again, everybody's here for a reason. Um, we need to figure out what that reason is individually. We need as the leaders need to allow those people to flourish in that space and, and appreciate them for the work that they're doing. And then we can congeal and everybody can work together, uh, being on the same page for the same mission. And we're going to go tremendous places. And our youth are going to go wild because of this, because they're, they're just going to grow and they're going to get out of the slump that they're in right now. And, and they're going to feel like they're really productive and doing something meaningful for society. Well, if I, you know what? I say get rid of everybody that's already in those positions from the White House to, you know. Well. <laughs> it is some fresh blood. I, well, I take a chance. I take a chance on some fresh blood. Yeah, they, sometimes, you know, we've, we've had some that are kind of combative, but they're trying to find their way. And it is a different path that they're taking. And I say get rid of all of them, get all brand new. Well, if you think about the founding fathers, um, I think they were very inspired in regards to the constitution and the way the country was built. And we're not working the way the country was built. Um, what, what, they were, what they meant to do was that people would step in and, uh, and they would take a leadership role for a short period of time, but they weren't supposed to be making a living off of this. This wasn't supposed to be their livelihood for 40 or 50 years. They were supposed to get in, do their job, do their service, provide you know, their leadership for a time, and then they're supposed to, to pass the, the, the baton to the next generation. And we've missed several generations because of what's going on right now. And that's, that's not good. And that's where people are feeling like they're, they're, they're misrepresented and they're not able to actually feel like they're part of the, the fabric. Right. Right. Well, you know what? I say vote for John. <laughs> uh, it, it's so important. Thank you so much for being here on the edge. Brains, did you hear what we just talked about? It was heavy. You needed a crane for that, okay, to pick it up. <laughs> um, but think about it. Go back and re-listen to it two or three times. Share with a friend. This is very valuable, important information. This is a love language. We're loving on you. We want you to be smart. We want you to be happy. We want you to be healthy. We want you to explore your options. We want you to be good to your community and to your kids. Be good to yourself. And the only way that you can do that is raise your level of consciousness and awareness. Thank you so much for being here with me, uh, John McIntyre. I have enjoyed this so much. You are the best. Thank you so much. And bye. Thanks, friends, for letting me talk this way. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Goodbye.